It says, Now therefore you are, are, are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Lord, tonight as we come to the study of your word, we ask your blessing over this time. We pray, God, that it would be fruitful. I pray, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us into all truth by your Holy Spirit, that you would reveal things to us from your word, that things would settle on our hearts, and, Lord, that you would renew us. And I pray that you would anoint this time with your Spirit. Saturate us with the Holy Spirit tonight as we study your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we continue our study of the book of Ephesians tonight, we're going to see something that is absolutely incredible. As Paul begins this section, he's bringing this this thought that he had in chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, as he's bringing it to a close, he reveals in these verses that there are, are three realities of the Christian life. And there's three things that he points out here. Number one, we are a part of God's kingdom. We are a part of God's kingdom. Number two, we are a part of God's family. And not only are we a part of God's family, but we are God's temple. We are God's building, the people of God. We are the temple of God. As we considered last week, we looked at how at one time it says in verse 12, let's just look at this once again, it's speaking about how we were at one time, what we were in our past. And at the beginning of chapter 2, he's speaking to everybody, Jew and Gentile, and he includes himself, but here... Beginning in verse 11, he's specifically talking to Gentiles. He's addressing the Gentile people, and that's you and I. And he says in verse 12 that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He tells us that at one time we were without Christ. That is, as Gentile people, we had no knowledge that a Messiah was coming. We were aliens to that reality. We did not have the whole Old Testament, right? We did not have the knowledge of that promise. And so we were without the Messiah. We were without Christ. We did not know that God had a plan. We did not know that. And then it says that we were aliens or we were strangers from the commonwealth of Israel. We were not a part of Israel and we were strangers from the covenants of promise. We were not involved in that covenant. Although when God made that promise to Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis, that promise included all of the nations being blessed. And it was within the plan of God, even in the Old Testament, that the Gentiles would be included that he would send a Messiah that would give light to the Gentiles. Amen? We read that specifically in the book of Isaiah. That was in the plan of God the entire time. And we got into that last week. But it says, having no hope and without God, we were outside of the covenants. We did not have hope and we were without God. We did not know God. 
Then he says in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And here we see that Christ has brought us near to God by his blood. We once were strangers. We once were aliens. We once were without Christ. We once were without hope. We once were not included within that covenant or we were aliens to that. But now we've been brought near now because of the blood of Jesus. And then it says that he abolished the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. That, it, that is he fulfilled the law and he fulfilled the ceremonial law and removed it out of the way. The thing that was the barrier between Jew and Gentile, the thing that separated them from being together has been removed. And he says there that he took down the middle wall of separation. He removed the middle wall of partition. And there he's using the language of that of the temple. And we know that within the temple structure, within Herod's temple, at the time that the Jews, it was still uh, erected at this time that Paul is writing this. But he is saying that that middle wall that kept the Gentiles on one side and they could not enter into the holy court, they could not go into the court of the temple, but the Jews could, that wall has been torn down. And now they are reconciled and one, it says here, one new man is created. I love that. Because it's not Judaism 2.0, right? Jesus said when he was speaking to his disciples, you can't put new wine into old wineskins, right? He wasn't putting new wine into the old wineskin of the Jewish system, but he said you must put new wine into new wineskins. And that's what the church, that's what the gospel is. It's the new wineskin. He's made one new man from the two, Jew and Gentile, reconciled back together in one body that is called the church. Amen? Forever in the mind of God, forever the plan and purpose of God, that he would do that. How do we know? Because it says back in chapter 1 that he chose us in him. When? When did he choose us in him? Who? Jew and Gentile. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Amen? Having predestinated us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to the praise of the glory of His grace. Amen? It was His plan and He has made both into one. It says there in chapter 2 and verse 17, And He came and preached peace to you who were afar off, that's the Gentiles, and to those who were near, that's the Jews. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. We now through Christ have access by one spirit to the Father. Jew and Gentile, all people come to the Father by Christ, by one spirit. Amen, the Holy Spirit. There's only one way to the Father, right? There's not a different way for this group. and a diff There's one way. There's one way to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus said in John chapter 10 
In verse 9, I am the door. He's the door. Right? There, there's no other way. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's only one way. There's only one access, and it's through Christ. Amen? We all now, it says there in verse 18, through him we both have access. That's an amazing thing. We have access to the Father. By the Holy Spirit, we can enter into the presence of the Lord. Now we all are kings and priests unto God. I'm so glad that I don't have to go to somebody and say, can you go to the, before the Lord for me? I'm so glad that I don't have to take a, an animal and go to a priest and say, will you offer this before? I'm so glad that I can go directly into the presence of God. Amen? I'm so glad that on that day when Jesus cried out, it is finished, the veil was torn, not from the bottom up, but from the top down. Amen? That the Lord, the Lord tore that veil. Right? Amen? And now we all have access and don't you see the reality of that dispensation coming to a close? You know, there was a time when the Jewish worship of the temple and the Christian church overlapped. It was, that was fading away. Do you realize that? There, it was fading away. That old covenant was already going out. That, that mode of worship. How, how do we know that that door is shut? The temple was completely destroyed. You realize in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus' word in Luke 21, Mark 13, and Matthew 24, there are parts of that that are already fulfilled. You remember, Jesus said, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another. You remember that? They were saying, look at the beautiful stones of the temple. Right? Look at the, Look how magnificent this temple is. And Jesus said, not one stone will be left upon another. He even said that you will see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. And that was fulfilled. In AD 70, the temple, Jerusalem was destroyed and the Jewish people were dispersed. You see here we have access through Christ to the Father. We've been reconciled in one body, into one new man. We looked at what Colossians says. We look at what Galatians says, how there's now neither Jew nor Gentile. There's no slave nor free, circumcised or uncircumcised. We're all one. Amen. And Paul goes on to show us what we looked at at the very beginning, these three great realities that he mentions for God's people. And look at what it says in verse 19. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. Fellow citizens. You see, number one, we are, we are now a part of God's kingdom. We are in God's kingdom. We're, he says, now, therefore, you and I were no longer strangers. We're no longer foreigners. We're not separated. We're, we aren't outsiders. We're not even, we're not second class, we're not even second class citizens, 
right? We're not somehow lesser because we're Gentiles, right? We're not, we're not lesser, but we are fellow citizens. We belong to the kingdom of God. We are citizens of the kingdom. Amen. That's an amazing thing for us to realize that we have been delivered from the dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the son of his love. We, we belong to his kingdom. We are citizens. It, Christ is the great unifier of, of all people, right? Amen. He is. Think about it. He is the one that has brought more unity to uh, different types of people than anybody else in the history of the world. He has reconciled Gentile back. That's a big deal. He's reconciled different races back together. He's, he is the unifier. We are now fellow citizens. You realize that anybody that is born again is a part of the kingdom of God. Anybody that is born of the Holy Spirit is a part of God's kingdom. Amen? We see that Christ is bringing the nations back to God through the gospel. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. Go, go and make disciples of who? Of all nations, all peoples, right? And the minute somebody gets saved, they're born into the kingdom of God. They're fellow citizens in God's kingdom. We pray prayers, Lord, your, your kingdom come. In Matthew 6 and verse 10, we, we pray this, Lord, your kingdom come. We, we want your kingdom to come. You see, we get a picture of this reality of the full breadth of the unity of what Christ has accomplished in the book of Revelation. You realize when we get to heaven, oh my goodness. When we get to heaven, think about it. Think about it. When we get to heaven, you're going to see every tribe, every tongue, every kindred, right? Every people group, amen, all around the throne of God. Think about that. Isn't it? It's amazing. It's amazing. That you know on Sunday morning we'll come together here in Cincinnati and there'll be believers in China gathering to worship Christ. Amen. Who believe this word. Just like we believe it, right? There'll be believers in Russia gathering who believe this word, who are born again. There'll be believers in South America who are gathering on, on Sunday to worship the risen Christ all over the world. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 7. just want you to see this is what heaven's going to look like. Revelation 7, verse 9. It says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people. 
You see, we are fellow citizens. We are a part of God's kingdom. Then turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And we'll start with verse 18, but here's what it says. For many walk of whom I told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Look at what verse 20 says. For our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. That is, our names are on the registry of heaven. Amen? We belong there. Amen? The census record in heaven right now has Jonathan Sears on its books. Isn't that amazing? It has Rita on its books. Amen? Your name is in the Lamb's book of life. Your name, you are a citizen of heaven, right? Amen. Tonight, right now, right now, your name is written there. Amen. You belong there. That's your home. Amen. Christ is there now preparing a place for you and for me. What an amazing thing to think about. We are citizens. Fellow citizens, we are a part of the kingdom of God. We're no longer foreigners, we're no longer strangers, but we are fellow citizens. And then he says, in the last part of that verse, he says, we are fellow citizens with the saints. That is, everybody that's born again. And then it says there, and members of the household of God. Not only are we a part of the kingdom, but we are a part of God's family. We are a part of the family of God. We are members of the household of God. We are His family. Not only citizens, but His family. We are His people. We read, Paul says in chapter 3 and verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family and heaven and earth is named. We are a part of the family of God. When we pray, we pray our Father. Amen? We pray it. That's the reality. Our Father. He is our Father. The Holy Spirit's been poured out in our hearts and we cry out, Abba, Father. We talk to Him as the Father. We communicate with Him as our Father because He is our Father. We are of the household of faith, the household of God. We are sons and daughters of God and we need to realize that every saint of God, everyone that is born again, every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is my brother and my sister. That's an amazing thing. Right? That, that I have brothers that are Baptist. Amen? Anybody born, again, anybody born of the Spirit? Amen? I have brothers that are pro, uh, Presbyterian. There may be even a few that are Catholic. Amen? In spite of what their church teaches. Not because of what their church teaches. Right? In spite of it. I've known several people that got born again in the Catholic Church. 
Some of you were, used to be Catholic, right? But I've known a lot of people that got born again in a Catholic church and they couldn't stay there. I know them personally. Amen? It'll be Methodists. Methodists are my brothers and my sisters. Anybody that's born again, amen, that's not preaching another gospel, that's not denying the Trinity, that's not denying, right, amen? They're my brother and my sister. We are a part of God's family. And we are God's family for all eternity. We need to be reminded again, again and again. How often do we forget who we are, don't we? We do. We forget who we are. The enemy comes to us. He distracts us. He detours us. And we forget the reality that we have been predestined to be adopted as sons. Amen. Through Christ. That we're no longer slaves, but we're sons of God. We're heirs and we're joint heirs with Jesus. We are a part of the family of God. We are sons and we cry out, Abba, Father. And we, we are a part of God's household. So that means tonight... You are my brothers and my sisters. That's the reality. Amen. We're born of the Holy Spirit. We're new creatures. We've been taken out of Adam and put into Christ. And we're brothers and we're sisters. Amen. And just in a natural, fleshly sense, when you see your children fighting, what do you want to do to them? You want to whip both of them, right? You want to smack them, rough them up and say, look, your brother's and your sister. You're, why are you fighting your brother like that, right? There's times when we definitely have to stand up for truth. We, amen. We don't unify around air. I mean, air being false doctrine. You know, with the big ecumenical movement that took place in the last century where churches were uniting together and there were some churches compromising the Bible. We don't unite with people that compromise the Bible, right? We don't sacrifice truth to have unity with people that are leading people astray. That's not the unity Christ is talking about. Amen? But my Baptist brother who has a different view of tongues, right? I can unite with him. Amen? Amen? Right? My Presbyterian brother who still thinks it's okay to baptize babies, but they preach the gospel, people get saved. I can unite with them. They're flat wrong about that. Amen? Amen. There's no text of Scripture. It, tells, it hasn't replaced circumcision. There's no verse in the Bible that says that it has replaced circumcision for babies. That's, that's nowhere. But I can still unite with them if they believe the Word of God and preach the gospel. Right? They're my brothers and my sisters. Amen. I can unite with people that have a different take on the rapture when it will take place. 
I can unite with them. Amen? One of these days we're going to figure out who's right about that. You know that, right? <laughs> One of these days the trumpet will sound at a certain point and we're all going to go, yep, hopefully we say we were right, right? Amen? But one of these days, we're going to figure out who was right. But there's one thing we all unite around. He is coming, right? He's coming again, just like he said he was. Amen? Well, we're brothers and we're sisters. We're a part of the family of God. We're of the household of God. And he goes on in verse 20. He says having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, and whom the whole building be, being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Here we see we are, God, we are God's temple. He says in verse 20, having been built... On the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. Paul mentions the foundation of this family of God. The foundation. The foundation is what the structure is built upon. You do not have a building or a structure without a foundation. It's what everything else is built upon. And he says, he mentions here, it's built upon having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And because he mentions the apostles first and then the prophets, we see that he is referring to the New Testament prophets. That in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, you had apostles and prophets that were proclaiming with authority the revelation of Christ to the church. How many know we still have the apostolic authority and the apostolic and prophetic preaching of that first century? How do we still have it? How do we know what it is? How do we have that? Right here. Amen? The 27 books of the New Testament are the apostolic witness. Amen? They are the foundation. How many realize we're not adding anything else to those 27 books? Amen? You don't add more to a foundation, do you? Amen? That's why, that's why in... In the early 1800s of this, uh, of America, when a guy by the name of Joseph Smith supposedly had a vision and he was taken out and shown golden tablets and it was revealed to him the Book of Mormon, we can take that Book of Mormon, rip it up, and throw it down the trash can because we know there is no other revelation than what has been revealed to us in the Word of God. When Muhammad, 500 years 
chapter the New Testament was closed and the canon was already written, goes into a cave and supposedly has visions and he comes out and writes the, uh, the Quran, we can sit here and say, no, the foundation has already been laid. The witness, the eyewitness accounts of the apostolic preaching has already been recorded for us. The foundation has already been laid. Amen? Amen. When a lady by Ellen G. White starts having visions and reinterpreting the Scripture and the atonement and you have what is now Seventh-day Adventism, we can say, no, the foundation has already been laid. Amen? There's not new revelation. Right? I want to say to you, if it's new, it's heresy. Amen? If somebody comes up with a new view of Jesus, it's heresy. Amen? The Millerite movement in the 1800s where the guy interpreted Daniel chapter 8 about the sanctuary being cleansed about the 200 and so many days or 2,000 days and he said that has he reinterpreted as years and they literally thought that Jesus was coming back in 1844 and people literally sold everything, right? What did Jesus say about his coming? Nobody knows the day or the hour. Anytime any joker does that, writes a book about it, don't buy it. Please save your money. Amen? Seriously. How did I get over here? Must have just been on my mind. But the foundation has already been laid. He says here, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets... That is, they laid the foundation, which is Christ. That is, Christ is the foundation. They, they preach Christ, the doctrine of Christ. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, turn with me there. First Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 9, this is Paul speaking. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, you are God's building. That's amazing. We are God's building. He says in verse 10, according to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation. The apostles and the prophets laid the foundation. We have the apostolic teaching. We have the full and final revelation that is the word of Christ, the revelation of Christ. Amen. We've been given everything that we need to serve him, to know his will and his mind in his word. Right? Amen. 
Jesus. I love it. You remember what Jesus said to Peter in Matthew chapter 16 when he, when he said, Who do men say that I am? And Peter and the, some of the apostles were saying, Well, some think you're Elijah. Some think that you're the prophet, the prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist. And then he said, Well, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, You are the Christ the son of the living God. And then he said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And then he said, And you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What was the rock there? It was the confession that Peter made. What was that rock that it's built upon? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the foundation. He is the rock that we are built upon. And then he says in verse 20, Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone is that stone that is laid by which all the other stones are measured. The cornerstone is the stone that is laid by which all the other stones are chiseled to line up with that stone. Christ is the cornerstone. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the one by which everything else is measured and lined up. It's Christ. We see this prophesied in the Old Testament. Throw me to Isaiah chapter 28. The book of Isaiah. Twenty-eight, it says in verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone. For a foundation, a tried stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. The psalmist said in Psalm 118 and verse 22, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. We see this Psalm 118 quoted by the Lord himself to the Jewish authorities that had rejected him when he said, Have you not read what the psalmist wrote, that the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. In Acts chapter 4, when Peter is preaching to the very men that crucified his Lord 50 days earlier, he stands up before him and he says, This is the stone which you builders rejected, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Think about the language that he uses there. The stone which was rejected, it is as if they looked at him and said no. Right? It's as if they were going out and quarrying stones and they picked 
one and they said, ah, no, we don't like the looks of that one and threw it away. But God the Father came along and said, no, the stone which you rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And he picks it up and puts it in its place, amen, and gives it honor. It's a precious stone. It's an elect stone. Christ is the cornerstone. Christ. Peter quotes this again in his epistle. Turn with me to 1 Peter. First Peter chapter 2, verse 6. It says, Therefore it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore to you who believe he is precious. Is he precious to you? To you who believe he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Here we see Christ is the cornerstone and we are being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ being that head of the corner as one translation says that that chief cornerstone. Then he says in verse 21 he says in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. He says the whole building is being fitted together. It grows into a holy temple. God is building his temple and we individually, each of us, are a part of that. Every time somebody gets saved, it's another stone added to that building. Amen? Somebody is added to that foundation, that God, that building that he is building. We see this. Turn back again to 1 Peter chapter 2. You realize you're a stone? You realize that? You're a stone. I'm a stone. You know that? We are a stone. He says here in verse 4, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, look at verse 5, as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are living stones. God takes us as living stones and he takes us and he fashions us. He lines us up with the cornerstone, right? He chisels off a little here and a little there and he works with us and he lines us up in his building. Amen. We are living stones. You see, in the Old Testament, God dwelt. God dwelt in the tabernacle at one time. That is, His glory was manifested, the Shekinah glory of God, over top of the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament. But Moses was instructed specifically on how to build that You'll see that in the book of Exodus that he would, they were to go and take acacia wood to make the outer part of this tabernacle. And they would take the acacia wood, 
They would have to cut it down. Then then they would have to plane it. They would have to sand off its rough edges, edges. And then they took pure gold and overlaid that acacia wood where you couldn't even see the, the wood anymore. And then they would line up these acacia boards one to another and couple them together with a rod going through the middle of them and a curtain along the outer edge that that they were coming together and being built together for the dwelling place of God. It was fashioned for the glory to dwell. It was fashioned for God's presence to be there. Then you go forward a few hundred years to where Solomon was building the temple. After David had prepared all of this stuff for him, Solomon begins to build this temple. We read in the book of 1 Kings chapter 6 that they quarried stone away from the temple and they literally finished the stone there and brought it to the temple so that no hammer or chisel was heard when the temple was being fashioned together. That is, within that temple, there was never a hammer being heard and never a chisel. They were finished at the quarry and then brought and put in place. You see, God found us down in that dark quarry, right, of sin. Amen? He came and He took us. Amen? And He took His chisel. Amen? Where people couldn't see it or hear it. Amen. You can't see the new birth, right? It's done. You, you don't know how it happens, but it does happen. And He saved us. He made us new. He us in the, a part of His temple, right? He says here, You and I are being fashioned as living stones. He builds His temple. We are the body of Christ. We are His building. And whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, it says, In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We are built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Do you realize that God dwells within the body of Christ? Amen. We are the dwelling place of God. Amen. Corporately, the Spirit dwells here. He, don't, he does no longer dwell in temples made of hands. He dwells in His body, His church. We see here that He dwells corporately. We are being fitted together in whom... Verse 22, you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The corporate body is the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That's an amazing thing. That, does that not elevate church? It ought to elevate it if we understand that. Amen? That when we come together, we meet together on the Lord's day. We come together as God's people on the Lord's day. We are the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. 
The Spirit of God dwells there. Amen? That ought to elevate everything that we do. We ought to not take that casually. Right? Not only are we a dwelling place corporately, but individually we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. We'll read two verses and then we're going to pray. Turn me to 1 Corinthians. tells us we're fellow citizens. We're a part of God's kingdom. We're members of the household of God. We're a part of God's family. Not only that, but we're God's temple. We're God's building. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. The Spirit of God dwells in you and me. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. We are God's temple. Chapter 6, he says, and he says this within the context of giving a warning to flee sexual immorality. He says in verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside of the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. He, he gives the imagery in the book of Corinthians as becoming one with a harlot, of joining with a harlot, becoming one flesh with them. He's like, you're holy. How could you do that? How could you commit this type of sexual immorality? Don't you realize what you are? He says in verse 19, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He says there, we, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. Amen? The church is the building of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in us individually and corporately. We are a dwelling place of God. I love this. We are a part of God's kingdom, fellow citizens. We are a part of God's family. and We are God's building. We are the temple of God. Lord, we love you tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you had brought us near. We who at one time were afar off. We who were aliens. God, we were without hope, without Christ.
But now we are fellow citizens, members of the household of God. We've been reconciled in one body. You've created one new man, the church. Thank you, Lord, that we are a part of that. Lord, I pray tonight that you would help us to remember this. Help us to realize that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Christ, you're the cornerstone. We as living stones are being built together. We're being fashioned. And Lord, I pray tonight that you would help us. Help us to keep that in the forefront of our mind. That Holy Spirit, you live in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.